Welcome to Distressed Situations, a Reed Smith podcast. On this podcast, we cover current issues in financial restructuring over a wide variety of industries. I'm Keith Arzeda, a partner in Reed Smith's Global Restructuring and Insolvency Group, and I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. Whether your company is a financial institution or in industry, we hope our commentary will be useful in managing the risks associated with distress. If you have any questions about our topics, feel free to contact our speakers. Welcome, everybody. This is Michael Venditto. I'm a partner in the Restructuring and Insolvency Group of Reed Smith. And on behalf of Reed Smith, I want to welcome you to the latest edition of Distressed Situations. Today, we have a special guest, Alex Sorokin. Alex is a Senior Managing Director at Ankura Consulting. Alex has more than 30 years in turnaround and restructuring, along with business development and management and advisory work. And Alex has worked across all industries in the U.S. and around the world. Today, he's going to uh, talk to us about the hospitality industry. So, Alex, welcome to Distress Situations. Well, hi, Michael. Thanks very much for inviting me today to uh, the Reed Smith podcast on distress situations, the hospitality industry. And thank you very much for your introduction. Just a word about Ankara, if I may. Sure. We're a multi-practice consulting group covering a wide range of industries, markets, and industries. We offer forensic services, cyber, strategy, performance, construction, disputes, and advisory. I'm in the turnaround and restructuring practice, which is 150 plus uh, professionals. I've been doing distressed turnaround work for probably about 35 years. At Anchor, I work closely with our real estate and advisory group, uh, which does valuations and assists on transactions. And part of the real estate and advisory group is our hospitality services, which is uh, led by Chuck Bledsoe. And Chuck was a senior person who worked on the uh, Lehman Brothers liquidation, sorting out the entire portfolio over there. Prior to 2020, I've worked with the hospitality industry and with restaurants. And during 2020, I've worked with several companies in each of those. So what are you seeing as a result of the pandemic? Well, you know, first of all, uh, we're not out of it yet. So there's still a ways to go. But it's interesting to look back at 2020, and as everyone understands, both hospitality and restaurant businesses, along with uh, many others, were driven by COVID-19 factors beyond their control. Basically, these are, in normal times, uh, if there's such a thing, healthy industries with, for the most part, uh, healthy uh, companies. I mean, there are probably a couple other industries or sectors that have been affected as much as hotels and hospitality in general, and restaurants, and those being, of course, airlines, as well as movie theaters, entertainment types of businesses. And what we saw through COVID-19 for the last year, there's been a disruption of travel. There have been virtual meetings and offices have uh, closed down and people are working off-site. There have been government-imposed restrictions on gatherings and occupancy. And there's been, in general, across uh, businesses, a focus on uh, health and hygiene in order to uh, open up. So what you found in February, March of 2020, and it all happened really very suddenly, businesses, companies that were otherwise healthy, uh, all of a sudden facing existential crises. 
And the other thing I'd probably add as we talk about hospitality and restaurants is that neither one of them are uh, really monolithic industries. Restaurants have uh, various segments to them, and they were all affected somewhat differently by what we've just gone through. And also uh, with respect to the recovery that everyone's looking to be taking place in 2021 and beyond, that there'll be differences in how quickly that happens in the particulars. For example, in the restaurant uh, industry, quick serve restaurants and fast casual uh, and pizza were less affected because they just don't rely on the same type of in-restaurant seating and traffic was always, for the most part, takeout. There are also regional differences. Restaurants in California were more affected by the COVID-19 response than restaurants in Florida, for example. We take a look at some other sectors in restaurants, and really when we talk about the uh, parts of the industry that face the uh, steepest climb uphill to recovery, really talking about your casual restaurants, your sit-down restaurants, your fine dining restaurants, and others like that. On the hotel side, uh, the differences there as well. For example, hotels that depended more on group traffic and on business, for example, were far more affected uh, by COVID and just uh, the move to virtual business and restrictions on travel than hotels in local markets, which perhaps cater more to a, uh, a leisure and a vacation crowd. Uh, in other words, drive-to markets. So it really has been kind of uh, uneven in terms of how both of those sectors have been affected, and the recovery also is going to be uneven. So how, how are these industries, hospitality, restaurant, dining, reacting to and dealing with COVID-19? Well, pretty much both industries facing uh, existential crises with uh, a lot of uncertainty as to how the recovery was going to take place focused on the most important factor that would ensure that they would have enough fuel to be able to get out through the other side and reestablish themselves. And obviously, that's the focus on cash. So in both industries, to the extent possible, uh, companies went ahead and drew down on their revolvers. In many instances, uh, they applied for and received PPP loans. Some companies that we're familiar with arranged for equity infusions. Obviously, they needed to turn to their lenders to go ahead and renegotiate covenants. And what we saw happening is, for the most part, that those covenants went from financial covenants to cash covenants. In other words, minimum cash, liquidity, availability, and so on, at least through the end of the year. Staffing was reduced to the extent possible. All industries, all companies try to keep at least a core around which they could rebuild their businesses uh, once COVID lessened up. Executive compensation in many instances was reduced by 20% and didn't come back to full comp until later in the year. SG&A spend was reduced. CapEx was deferred to the extent possible. Uh, many Businesses went and approached landlords, for example, to uh, get deferrals on the payment of rent. In many instances, 
companies went to, in these industries, went to their landlords and actually asked for reductions in their rent. What we found is in many of those instances that they were able uh, to get deferrals, but in terms of being able to get outright reductions in rent, that's not something that was easily arranged. Uh, we saw instances in the restaurant uh, industry uh, where uh, because of uh, not only concern about cash, but also restrictions imposed on lenders by lenders, that companies were not able uh, to go ahead and make the investment to open up new restaurants. And as a result of that, had to go negotiate with their landlords about deferring, making the investments in those new restaurants, uh, as well as, uh, in some instances, actually being able to completely cancel the commitments to go ahead and open up restaurants in those sites, in some instances with no penalties. And I guess in some respects, uh, you know, certain landlords probably were looking at their alternatives rather than having a restaurant as a uh, tenant. Uh, in general, vendors got stretched. Businesses, particular companies that we worked with, created contingency plans. Nobody was really sure how long the uh, governmental restrictions on occupancy and disruption to the airline industry and travel, as well as uh, business activities, was going to last. So as far as, you know, being a, looking at, you know, Chapter 11 alternatives and things like that, I think that many companies went ahead and looked at those kind of scenarios. But, you know, what we found is, at least from the lender side, there wasn't any rush to go ahead and foreclose or to close or to accelerate loans. Nobody really wanted to become owners of these businesses. And I think everyone, even today, understands that for the most part, these are healthy businesses, and as long as they have sufficient capital to be able to continue to ride out the recovery period going into 2021-22, and maybe even beyond, that they should come out okay on the other side. So if this is an issue of liquidity, how are the lenders reacting? Well, as, as I mentioned before, uh, what we saw is that, for the most part, lenders were not eager to go ahead and accelerate or foreclose. What lenders did is impose certain requirements as these companies went to lenders and asked for amendments and deferrals of payments and things like that, that were more or less designed to go ahead and eliminate those activities or investments that the companies might make affecting their liquidity. For example, what we saw were restrictions imposed on dividends, on new construction, for example, on stock buybacks, and you know other such things. Also, to the extent that lenders were requested to amend their agreements and extend maturities, that what we saw for the most part, that the extensions were limited to very short periods, meaning one year. I think everyone going through the middle of 2020, you know, into uh, the third quarter, was pretty much just sitting, waiting to see what shape the recovery was going to take place. I think that in general, there was probably a higher sense of optimism about what the fourth quarter of this year uh, of 2020 would look like than actually turned out. Uh, even though we, I think everyone was being told that the pandemic was going to come back for another wave, there was a belief based on 
sort of positive results through the summer, that it wasn't going to be as bad as things turned out to be. All right. So you're the expert. That's why we have you here today. What are your thoughts on going into 2021? Well, a few interesting things that I think we're observing going into 2021. First off, there does seem to be a view that there will be a recovery that's going to be taking place. And let me deal with restaurants first. And in particular, the casual restaurants, the sit-down restaurants, that there will be a recovery through 2021. But it's going to take probably until 2023, 2024, until 19, uh, excuse me, 2019 levels of total revenue end up being achieved. And in terms of the hotel industry, there's a belief there, I think, of the same thing. There's going to be faster recovery for those hotels that are more vacation-oriented destinations. There's a lot of demand on the part of consumers and people who want to go ahead and re-engage with leisure activities. There's uncertainty about how businesses are going to react. Uh, I think that the uh, sort of the response, the virtual response to COVID in some respects went ahead and accelerated some trends that were already taking place in terms of business communications. Obviously, there's no complete substitute for face-to-face, but it's going to take a while for business people to start traveling the same way that they did before. And there's certainly questions of whether or not it's ever going to uh, get back to, or life is going to get back from a business sense to the way that it was before. I think that people have gotten comfortable doing virtual business. That's certainly going to take the place of having to travel and uh, face-to-face in many respects. You know, whether or not it uh, complete, you know, to what extent it completely uh, goes ahead and affects the overall level business travel activity is really a question mark. Not really sure, but I would, I would probably gather, I would probably bet that there's probably about 10% that isn't going to come back to 2019 levels. As far as restaurants, lenders in that industry are waiting to see how business is going to uh, end up coming back. Alex, since you mentioned leisure travel as one area looking for an earlier recovery, I'm curious about what you think in the cruise industry. In the cruise industry, the lines have taken on a lot of debt. Obviously, they've been entirely shut down. So they've incurred a lot of debt while they await return to operations. What's the future there? The cruise line industry was particularly affected and its operations uh, brought to a standstill by the uh, CDC's no-sale order that was issued about April of 2020. And that no-sale order continued on until uh, October of 2020. That was replaced by a, uh, a conditional allowance to sale that pretty much nobody really understood, but had elements of hygiene and occupancy or total uh, total passenger occupancy, et cetera, attached to it. And as a result, uh, and the way to look at the cruise industry is by looking at the three largest cruise lines, and that's Carnival, Royal Caribbean, 
and Norwegian Cruise Line. They account for about 70% of the industry, so they're a pretty good barometer of uh, what's going on. What you've, what you've seen with all three of them is basically continued extensions and deferrals of when their sailing schedules are going to be resumed. I think as we were getting to the beginning of the year, there were hopes that by perhaps the end of March that there would be some resumption of activity that's not taken place. And I think for the most part, those three cruise lines have indicated that they would like to expect some sort of resumption of sailing activity taking place around June or towards the end of June of this year. Now, to go ahead and have inactive ships that are simply sitting in the harbor is a pretty expensive proposition. So through this period of uh, COVID restrictions and effect on the cruise industry, there's been a pretty substantial cash burn taking place. It's been estimated that Carnival Cruise Lines, which I think is the largest passenger shipping company, leisure company, that it's costing them something on the range of about $600 million a month while their ships are laid up without carrying passengers. And for Royal Caribbean and Norwegian, the cash burn is somewhere estimated around $200 million a month. Now, those are huge numbers, obviously. But what those companies have done is, uh, again, just like in 2020, and restaurants and hotels focusing on liquidity have gone ahead and focused themselves on ensuring that they have enough cash at least to get them through 2020 or the expected requirements through 2020 into 2021, 23, 24, until the cruise line industry goes ahead and recovers. So towards the end of the year, for example, Carnival Cruise Lines was sitting with about $9.5 billion in cash. And Royal Caribbean was sitting with $5.5 billion and Norwegian with about $4 billion. So in relation to the size of those monthly losses that they were incurring, or excuse me, cash losses that they were incurring of between $600 million for Carnival to somewhere around $200 million, $200 million plus for Royal Caribbean and Norwegian, that's a you know, fair amount of liquidity that even when you take into consideration their debt repayment, refinancing, new ship bills, et cetera, requirements of 2021 and going into 22, there are estimates by analysts that those companies have plenty enough liquidity to get them through to 2022 and probably maybe even beyond into 2023. The big question mark there is obviously, you know, how is the cruise industry going to end up recovering from COVID? and uh, restrictions on occupancy and passengers and everything else. And, you know, my own feel, my own sense about it is that there's an awful lot of demand out there for resumption of leisure activities. Now, whether or not, you know, the cruise lines are going to be able to convince everyone that it's safe and that they should go ahead and welcome boarding a ship again, uh, that's one factor. The second one is, you know, it's just in terms of destinations. There's only so many people that would want to go on a ship and just simply cruise around in circles, which funnily enough just happened not too long ago with, I believe, as well, Caribbean's operations out of Singapore, where uh, ships would, they would book cruises to 
basically be out for you know several days or whatever entertaining their guests. Uh, I think the first time it happened, though, there was someone on board that uh, actually tested positive for the virus, so everyone ended up getting quarantined and tested and everything else, so it really wasn't a smooth sale, for example. But looking at you know the three majors in the industry, I think that you know in, in total that people are really betting that that industry is going to come back, it's there to stay, all right? There's obviously a demand for it or what have you. Because when you take a look at the market cap of these companies, I mean, Carnival has a $31 billion market cap, Royal Caribbean 23, and Norwegian somewhere around $11 billion. So to the extent that there's more restructured, there's more, you know, debt repayment schedules and so forth that are expected, I think that the market's telling us that they expect that there may need to be some restructuring. There may be, need to be some additional financing. But for the most part, all right, the industry is going to come back to be a healthy industry. And I think that's probably the message with hotels and with restaurants also. Obviously, there are going to be some winners and losers. But for the most part, you know, it's a question of how long it takes in order to go ahead and achieve you know, the 2019 levels of revenue and business activity. Alex, you've given us a lot to think about here today. Hospitality is going to be an industry that everyone's going to have their eye on as we go through the year. I want to thank you for joining us today, sharing your insights, and uh, maybe we'll invite you back some day in the future so we can see how well your prognostications have panned out. Everyone, thank you for joining us on Distress Situations and hope you'll join us for our next segment. Thank you. Distressed Situations is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's restructuring and insolvency practice, please email distressedsituations at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved. 